Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. I can say y'all. I'm not in Colorado anymore and, you, and nobody looks at me sideways, so that's nice. Comforting. Um, it, it is great to be here. Um, th- th- this is kind of surreal for me in many levels. Um, one, I was, as Michael said, I was with um, your men. Um, many of you were there on the men's retreat and uh, had a great time. It was a lot of fun to be um, be with them all and, and just um, share and teach and tell stories and stay up too late and all that kind of good stuff. And so we're all tired. So be, be, be patient with your husband if he was gone on that retreat, um, even though we don't have a good reason to be tired. We just chose to stay up too late talking. But we were talking about Jesus the whole time. So that, that's our hall pass on that one. But uh, it, it is great to be here. Um, it, it's funny, I've been a pastor for many years now. And out of all these years, I, I've traveled quite literally all over the world and preached all over the world, but I have actually never preached a Sunday morning in Cincinnati. And so this is the first time for me, which is really neat. It's a hometown thing. And I guess we get to test out, you know, the, the idea of whether or not a prophet is welcome in his hometown or not. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes and, uh, and, 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 and see how you feel about me afterwards. But the good news is I'll be back in a few weeks. So, um, so, so I'll be back in a few weeks. I'm excited to be here. I'll be here with, uh, as Michael said, uh, my, my co-pastor Chase Chase Davis, and uh, I, I just want to encourage you first. Um, just just as another plug, this conference is going to be great. M- Michael undersold it to you all. The, the, the men that are speaking at it uh, are amazing. Aaron Wren, Josh Dawes, uh, Michael Foster. These are all men that I know personally, and they are great. This is top-level stuff, so I really hope to see all of you back here at that conference here in a few weeks. Um, the other thing that I noticed, I promise I'll get into a sermon here in a minute, but this blew my mind. I'm, I was sitting right, right here right by my mom, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. That's where I pastor. I pastor a church called The Well, and my family, we are through and through Cincinnati sports fans. So we're Reds, Bengals. If you're a Steelers fan, you're in the wrong church. Um, you know, I know we talked about that at the retreat. And, uh, and, and, and so in, in Colorado, there's not a lot of Bengals fans walking around. And my son is addicted. I have a 10-year-old son, and he basically rotates his Burrow jerseys as, as what he wears every day. And I was sitting right there, and I saw a boy that looked about 10 years old walk by with a Burrow jersey. And I don't see that often. And I was like, is that my son? I'm like, How do you get here? I was like, no, I'm in Cincinnati. And so it, it messed with my brain a little bit to see um, more than one Burrow jersey walking around. So God bless you. His favor is on you. And so it's, it's good to be here with you. All right. Well, with all of that, let me pray real quick so that we can begin our time in the Word of God. God, you are good. We thank you for all the blessings in which you have given us, mainly the blessing of Jesus Christ, your Son, and that he has done what we cannot do for ourselves, that he has gone to the cross, that he has paid the price of sin, that he's atoned for all that we've done wrong, and that he then, through his resurrection, gives us grace and mercy so that we can come before the throne of God boldly, knowing that we are sons and daughters. What a beautiful thing it is to gather with your church. And God, it is not a question of whether or not your spirit is here. The question is whether we are attentive to it or not. So may our minds be attentive. May our hearts be ready to receive. And as we leave, may our hands be ready to do the work you've called us to do. I pray all this in your name. Amen. 
Amen. You can go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Luke chapter 18. We'll be in verses 9 through 14. Let let me read the word of God here. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is Jesus speaking, and and the word of God says this. He also told this parable, parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, before we kind of break this whole text down. We have to do a little bit of work to understand what we're dealing with here. Um, There's two major issues that you may run into with this text if you're not careful. And if you've been around church for any real period of time, you've probably heard this story before. You've probably heard this parable before. And if you're not from church at all, you can probably pick up on the main point of this story. And so because of these reasons, and, and one more, that there, there's a couple of errors that we may make. And one of them is this, it's simplicity. This is a fairly simple parable. Oftentimes when Jesus speaks in parables, it can be a little hard to understand what's going on. We, we, we have to kind of decipher it and understand it. This one's pretty clear. You can read this and you know what's going on. We can see that Jesus is making the point that the earnestness of the tax collector's prayers were, were, were what justified him, and the self-righteous prayers of the Pharisee were no good. It's pretty clear. We can, we, we can see this. It's right here in the text. And so I just want to warn you, mainly you Christians that are in the room, of an error that you may make when you read this passage. It's easy to go, well, I get this, I understand this, and you just kind of check out and you go, and you start thinking about who you wish was here to hear this message. Because clearly you're the righteous one. If you do that, you may be making the mistake of the Pharisee in the passage. And so we have to be careful with our reading of the text and our hearing of the word when it comes to these sorts of things. So don't gloss over it due to its simplicity. We don't want to miss out on the power that it has for us. I I think that's a danger that many of us can make in church regularly is, is that we begin to buy the lie that this is for somebody else. It's for you. It's for me. So don't make that mistake. The second issue that we need to deal with before we get into it is a bit more practical. It's a contextual issue. I don't know if you know this or not, but nobody in here is a first century Jew. You can't be. They're all dead, right? And if you've been around church much, you've been taught, you've been educated to know that basically whenever the Bible speaks of Pharisees, it's not good. 
And so what we can do is when we read this text, what we, can re- we, we just kind of think of it in our modern context. We think of it through the lens in which we are here sitting in Cincinnati, Ohio today. And, and that, that's an error that we could make because we, we think, oh, Pharisee, bad. But the people that Jesus is speaking to here in this context, what he's saying is very profound. Because the Pharisees were seen as the people to aspire to be like. They were some of the religious leaders. They were the most pietistic. They were the ones that followed all the rules. They were the ones that came to church. They didn't just bring their Bible, but they had a case for their Bible. And if you open their Bible, it was intimidating. It probably had like lots of little sticky notes all over it. And it was highlighted. And it was clear that they read their Bible. They were the people that you were supposed to be like. And so what he's saying here is pretty profound. And when it comes to the tax collector that we have in the story, we just really don't understand who this person is in our modern context. Now, you you may say, like, I I, I think I understand what's going on. The tax collectors were considered bad in the culture, and you probably consider tax collectors bad in this culture, too. (laughs) I do. Um, But God is full of mercy and grace, and will save them as well. But for a first century Jew, to be a tax collector was to be one of the most reviled people in society. They were looked down on and hated. They were despised. And they didn't hate them and despise them because of of the tax per se. Um, It wasn't like that they were like really hardcore libertarians and weren't into taxes. that's, That's not the point here. It's who they were. One commentary puts it this way in describing who the tax collectors were. The Romans made contracts, so if just giving us context here, Roman occupation, first century Judaism, the Romans have occupied the land, that they are the people ruling, right? The Romans, and so the Romans made contracts with local people in order to collect taxes. These local tax collectors, also called publicans, would often collect much more than the amount they were supposed to, to turn over to the Romans, They just kept the rest for themselves. In Palestine, this led to a bad feeling between the Jewish people and their neighbors who agreed to collect taxes for the Romans. Tax collectors were often seen as traitors by Jewish Jewish religious leaders. Some called them sinners, and they said that they were not welcome to be part of the Jewish people or to worship with them. So if you were a tax collector, you were a, a traitor of your people. Okay, what, what you agreed to do was to go and take the money from your people, and oftentimes they took more because they were able to do that and kept it for themselves. If you were a tax collector, you weren't even allowed a lot of times to worship with your people. They were despised. They were just people that were considered that lined their pockets, greedy, selfish, the worst of the worst. So now now let's think of this context in which we have. What we have here is a Pharisee. The guy who goes to the temple all the time. Somebody well thought of in the community. The person, if there was a need, that would break out their checkbook and write a check to help cover it and did all the pious things that religious people were supposed to do. The other person is the tax collector who steals and robs and cheats and has been labeled a traitor. 
these are the two people we're dealing with. That's a big chasm between them. So Jesus is using these two people to illustrate something for us. And what is he doing? Well, let's, let's dive into this here. He's saying that trusting in religious piety will not save. If you want to know that, if you forget everything else I say, remember that. Trusting in religious piety alone does not save. Good deeds, good works, actions. Jesus is after our heart. Maybe it's helpful to think of it this way. To understand the level of piety that the Pharisee had is kind of hard for us to understand. I mean, they were hardcore. They were committed. I think when I was thinking about it this morning, the closest thing I could come up with was that they were the people who held to the traditions better than anybody else. Maybe that's something that we can grasp onto. They were traditionalists. They hung on to it, they grasped it, and they fought for it. And what Jesus is saying here is holding on to tradition is not salvific in itself. It's not something that will save us. I I, I like to put it this way. You see, tradition's a good thing. Tradition can be a great thing. It's It's not a bad thing, but traditionalism, when it trumps the point of the tradition, is a bad thing. Think of it this way. Tradition is the living faith of dead men. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living men. And that's what's going on here with the Pharisee. He has held on to something that's dead. And it's not because of the works or the acts or the obedience. It's because of his heart towards it. So let's take a deeper look at these two. First, let's look at the Pharisee. Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see what he's doing here is he's creating a religious mechanism, if you will, to make himself feel better about who he is. This is something that people do. We don't know what to do with emotions like shame, fear, guilt. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll create religious mechanisms to make ourselves feel feel better. And I want to point out something here. In a minute, I'm going to show you three different ways that he prays that are wrong, that we are not to pray. But first, I have to point this out. In verse 11, it's very fascinating. In the passage, it says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. The actual translation, if you break this down, is the Pharisee praying to himself. He's actually not even praying to God. He might be in church, and he might be praying but he's not praying to God. This is a danger that many can run into with their relationship with God. You might be in church, you might be praying, but you may not be praying to God. And this is what's going on here with this Pharisee. And so the, prayer, the, the Pharisee here prays three different ways. When, when he prays, the first one is he, he prays in the negative. 
in the negative. Look at the text, right? He says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, right? I'm not like this. I'm not like that. I'm not like these people. He reminds himself of the sins he has not committed. That's his prayer. His prayer is centered around what he doesn't do, but what others do. Friends, this is a trap that it's easy to fall into. We all do it. It's one where we elevate the sins of those around us to ignore our own sins. It's it's really simple, right? But at least I'm not like them. It's fascinating when we think about this text because the words are just almost so offensive from the Pharisee when he's like, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these people. And we go, that's just rude. This guy's a jerk. The problem is you do that too. And so do I. At least I'm not like them. Like, I don't do that. Have you ever driven a car? Well, at least I know how to park. Right? That, that, that's what we do oftentimes. And, and we, we do it to justify our own sins. It's like, well, I know what I did isn't, isn't good. I know what I'm doing is not righteous. I know that I should be following Jesus better. I know that I should be doing these things. But that guy... I mean, he's done all this stuff. Just look at it. And we just have this inner dialogue with ourselves about those around us. I believe that in the West, this is one of the things that we're extremely guilty of. The idea that I'm not as bad as those people is dangerous, and I believe it's actually one of the major things that keeps people away from actually knowing God. Is we play a weird game with this, do we not? Where we do this whole entire thing where it's like, Hey, um, I mean, because I, I live in a very secular city, an extremely secular city, Boulder, Colorado. We call it the People's Republic of Boulder. There's not a lot of churches. And one of the things that you see there regularly is, is when I have conversations with my neighbors in Boulder, Colorado, that, that they will just say stuff that they believe in some goofy form of westernized karma. And what they're saying is they're saying, well, I, you mean, you know, yeah, I know I've messed up, but I'm not that bad. You know, I, I generally take care of my wife, generally. I'm, I'm not mean to my kids. And what they're doing is they're justifying themselves. And the problem with this is, is this is not what salvation looks like. The Bible is very clear that all have fallen, and fallen short of the glory of God. The measuring stick is not other sins, it's our own sin, and everybody has fallen short of this. And, and so, let, let me be very clear, let, let's just remove the confusion from the room, okay? Let's remove the confusion from the room about who we are and what we need. Point one, you're not good. Doesn't matter what your mom thinks. My mom's here, she thinks I'm great. I'm a sinner, fallen, broken man, and so are you. You may not be a man, but you know what I mean. But we're all broken. Want me to prove it to you? <laughs> Last night, I was downtown. I, went to, I got to go to dinner with my mom in downtown, and, uh, and I was walking by Fountain Square, and I was looking at it, and, and across from the Fifth Third building, they have that jumbotron. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
I want you to imagine something for a minute. Imagine this glorious thing that the Bengals have won the Super Bowl. And you're down there for the parade, right? And, 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 and everything's glorious. And on that jumbotron, all of a sudden, you find out all of your thoughts from yesterday are gonna be displayed on that jumbotron. In HD for all to see. Everything you thought for one day, just one day. Are you terrified? You bet you are. Right? We know deep down inside the reality is this, is that we aren't as good as we like others to think. And so what we will do is we'll play this terrible, terrible game of at least I'm not like them. Not, not, not. It's all in the negative. A big part of being a true Christian is to know that we ourselves are sinners in need of grace and mercy. If you only focus on the negative, what you are not, then you miss out on the grace of God redefining who you are through the mercy of God. You miss out on it. You don't even actually understand the beauty of the cross. If you're always focused on others and what you're not and you're you're doing that kind of thing, you don't even get the beauty of the salvation that is offered to you through Christ by understanding what you are. And you get to see the glory of God in all that. The second way the Pharisee prays is legalistically. Verse 12, what does he say here? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I think you guys were just recently as a church, were you guys fasting together for something? I, I, I don't know, churches do that all, all the time, but, um, but th- that's something, and you, and you should be giving. I'll, this is, by the way, this is, I, these are things that pastors who, when they come visit, they can say that your pastor shouldn't say or can't say. This is not an excuse to not give. You should be giving here. And if you're like, well, you know, the 10%, I don't know. Don't play that game. You should probably do more. Um, 10% was an Old Testament rule for the poor. So if you want to go that route and get legalistic about it, you probably would be required to give about 40%. So there you go, Michael. That one's for free for you, man. I got your back. (laughs) But what we see here is he's praying legalistically. I fast twice a week. I give all the things he does. So he just focused on what he's not. Now he's focusing on what he does. And he's highlighting the good things. He's avoiding the guilt in his own life. This is a cover for his own guilt-ridden life. This is what so many of us do. The focus turns from the external to the internal. But here, the Pharisee does this. He looks to his own works for his justification. He's still praying to himself here. Because I fast, I give. Maybe we say, I fast, I give, I serve, I show up, I'm committed. I, 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 I. It's tricky because this one's actually based on devotion and good things. These are good things. But this is the danger in legalism is this, is it will always take what God has ordained for good and turns it into a bad thing. 
One of the most difficult things that we must do as Christians is to avoid turning good God things into bad human things. We are prone to doing this, are we not? God gives us something as simple as prayer. And as this Pharisee shows us, he takes the gift of prayer and turns it into self-worship. This legalistic thinking and living, what it does is it helps us ignore God. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's ignoring what God would have him do. This man, it's very similar to this. It's like a man going to a doctor for a checkup. And the doctor comes back with a bad diagnosis. And he goes, I'm just gonna stop you there, doc. I'm keto. I do CrossFit. And I work out a lot and I'm, I'm very healthy. And the doctor's like, good. You're still sick. No, I'm good. Do you not see my works? I post it on Instagram every day, which if you're on keto and you do CrossFit, you do that. <laughs> Stop, it's a sin. No, I'm joking. And so he's just pointing to all of his works and the doctor's going, hey, I, I hear you, but I don't think you're hearing me. You're going to die. You're not going to live if we don't do something about this. And he goes, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing because that seems to be working for me. And I might even do it better and harder. Maybe I can remove some more grains from my diet and that, that will fix it. By the way, making fun of grains and things like that in Boulder, Colorado would get me, uh, would, would get me kicked out of the city, but I feel safe here. But this is legalism. Look at my work, so look at what I do. Just keep piling it up. Though God comes in and says, it, your heart is corrupt, friend. You will die. You will not make it. And the Pharisee goes, but look at my works. Look at my deeds. Friends, God has told us what is wrong. He has told us where to find the cure, and it's not found in legalism, as we'll see in a moment through the other man, the tax collector. The third way that he prays is through comparativeness. He's, he's comparing, it's very similar to the first one, but there's a subtle difference. There's a subtle difference here. Look at verse 11 again. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is a strategy of self-justification. So what he's doing here is this is comparative in the, in the sense of, and this is how it's different from the first way he prays, is he's looking to the people around him to justify him, and he's not looking to God to be the one that justifies him. He looks to others and what they may think instead of what God thinks. The people of his community, if you would have pulled these people in his community and said, hey, here's this tax collector and here's this Pharisee. Who's going to heaven? Everybody would have been like the Pharisee. 
And the Pharisee would have been like, that's right. The issue here is it doesn't matter what other men think. Hear me, hear me, Christians. It does not matter what the world thinks of your religious piety if it does not have Christ at the center of it. This is actually a very freeing thing. This can be an extremely freeing thing for you and me in the day and age in which we live because we become so obsessed with this idea of, of um, hey, love your neighbor, which is a biblical principle, but we, I don't think we actually understand what that looks like. We don't love our neighbors in such a way that we just seek to appease our neighbors so that they think good things about us. We love our neighbors by preaching the gospel to them and sharing the, the true word of Christ with them and the salvation that is offered to them through Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone. That's what we offer. That's what we get to do. It doesn't matter if our family thinks we're really religious and good and all that stuff. I mean, my my family's here with me. I'm the only pastor, as far as I know, in our family, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, as far as I know. And, And you know what? Me being a pastor doesn't guarantee my children, my family members, everybody, it it doesn't like just pass on to them and be like, hey, now salvation's for my whole family and that. it's, It's not how it works. The comparison game doesn't work with God. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The temptation to make others think we are good is real, but it doesn't work ultimately in the eyes of God. So, what are we to do? What are we to do? I could say, don't be like the Pharisee. But guess what? Then you're just like the Pharisee. (laughs) We're kind of stuck. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What are we to do? It's far more simple and much more profound than you may know. Repent and rest. That's it. Repent and rest in the mercy and grace of God. The tax collector goes to God, looks at him. Do do, do you see what happens? Like he he can't even look up. He, He knows who he is. He knows that he is a tax collector. He knows that he has stolen, that he has cheated, that he, that he is a robber of his own countrymen, that he is despised. He knows that he made choices that were bad. And he goes to God with those things. What's fascinating in here is this, is, is you might say, man, this seems like a guilt-ridden, shame-ridden man I don't want that for him. Well, neither do I, but here's the thing. We need to understand this in our understanding of who we are in Christ is that when we do shameful things, we should feel shame. That's not a bad emotion. 
But we get in trouble with things like shame, guilt, and fear when we don't have a savior who's big enough to set us free from it. But this man, I believe, the reason Jesus is pointing this out is he understands that, that, that Christ is big enough, that God is big enough to handle these things. And so yeah, he feels shame over who he is. And Jesus goes, I will set him free from that. The tax collector goes to God, and what does he do? He repents. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is maybe the most profound thing any person can ever say. God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. This is what is required to enter the kingdom of God. Not religious piety, not duty. Now, now hear me, duty and all the things that we do, they come along with it, they bolster it. Church attendance, being generous, all these things, they bolster it, but they're not centered on it. They're things that help build our faith. And you go, man, what do I need to do? I, you know, that's the whole point of this story is it's just repent and rest. This man was looking for rest from his sin. His repentance brings it to him. And you go, no, I feel like I need to do something, Matt. Matt, like you don't know me. You don't know what I'm about. You don't know what I've done. I, I need to earn. I need to do something. I need to give penance. I need to make this right. What, what, tell me what to do. I'm gonna tell you to repent of your sins. That's it. You don't believe me that that's all you have to do. Then we have one great story that we can look at that I think drives this point home better than others, and I'll close with this. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. This is the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 39 says this, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In a roundabout way, this is the same story of the tax collector. The thief on the cross he realizes, he goes, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be crucified. I deserve to die. I've the, I'm the one who has broken the law and done the deeds. But that one right next to me, he does not deserve this. His recognition of that is his repentance of his sin. He admits his fault and says, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus goes, I'll do one better. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now think about that. What could that man do to earn his righteousness? He was literally nailed down. He could do nothing but repent and believe. So Christians, 
The mission for you is to repent and believe the gospel. Non-Christians, our hope for you is that you repent and believe the gospel. It is the only thing that will make us right. No pious acts, no good deeds, but the reality of the gospel that Christ died for sinners and we need him. That is the beauty of the Christian message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of your gospel. That it's not wrapped up in our religious duty, that it's not wrapped up in our good works, our efforts, or anything. But that you have done the work that we could not do, that you have moved, that you have done the work, and you have declared that it is finished. So God, we thank you that you are the one that came, that you are the one that died, that you are the one that rose, and that you are the one that is currently seated at the right hand of the Father where you are ruling and reigning and you are interceding for your saints before the Father right now. And that you call us your own. What a beautiful thing. And Lord, I pray for those in here who do not know you that they would now in their hearts and in their minds pray, Lord, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And that they would trust and know that you save when we pray those words. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. I pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.